a compilation of missing 411 cases. Hello guys, today we will be looking into a few missing 411 cases that seem to defy all logic. Let's start with what makes a case a missing 411 case. This concept was formulated by a man named David Paulides who was a former police officer, turned investigator and writer known primarily for his self-published books dedicated to proving the reality of Bigfoot and establishing the missing 411 conspiracy theory. Missing 411 is a series of books and films which document cases of people who have gone missing in national parks and elsewhere and maintain that these cases are unusual and mysterious. Contrary to data analysis which suggests that they are not actually statistically mysterious or even unexpected, the criteria which makes a case come under the missing 411 cases are as follows. Missing are found in or near creeks, rivers, or other bodies of water. There is geographical clustering of missing persons bad weather was associated with the disappearance. Swamps and briar patches played a predominant role in many disappearances. The vast majority of disappearances occur in the late afternoon or early evening. When the missing is found, many cannot or will not remember what occurred while they were gone when the missing is allocated. The majority are semi-conscious or unconscious. When the missing is located, many are missing clothing or shoes or both. The missing is found in an area that was previously searched. Berries are inextricably related somehow with the disappearance. Now on with the cases. I'm hoping to make this into a full series on my podcast. Case 1. Kevin Robert O'Keefe He went missing the 10th of August, 1985, Wolf Point, Glacier Bay National Park, Alaska. Age at disappearance. 36 years. Glacier Bay National Park is approximately 70 miles northwest of Juneau. The park sits in an extremely wild and remote area where the Pacific Ocean forms a series of small to large inlets from a wide inlet going north from the region of Funter Bay State Marine Park. Kevin O'Keefe traveled from Bisbourne in Sacramento, California, and arrived in Juneau on or near the 20th of September, eventually flying onto the Glacier Park headquarters. He enrolled in and attended a class about living in the wilds of the park. On the 22nd of September, he was flown by float plane into Muir Inlet, just north of Wolf Point, where he established camp. He was traveling alone. On the 8th of October, 1985, National Park Ranger David Nemeth and his partner were patrolling the region of Wolf Point by boat when they stopped at Kevin's campsite. Rangers found a disturbing sight. Kevin's tent was near the high tide line, and this is where they also found a line of debris that appeared to be strewn by the high water mark. The ranger made special mention in Biss report about the tent having one pole inside that had come down. They found Biss sleeping bag, foam pad, and other items outside the tent, lying on the ground. Rangers knew that Kevin was supposed to be picked up on October 1 and decided to leave Biss camp untouched. From reviewing National Park Service, NPS, reports, which were obtained through a Freedom of Information Act request, it appeared there was concern. Rangers went back to the camp the next day, but this time four rangers went. They found the camp just as it had been the previous day, and it did not appear as though anyone bad used it during the night. The NPS did not conduct any searches, but they did call for Kevin and didn't get any response. On the 10th of October, rangers again returned with the additional assistance of an airplane, a Cessna 206 on floats. Rangers conducted a two-hour flight over the area, looking for Kevin, but they could not locate him. On the 17th of October, 1985, 
The Anchorage Daily published an article describing what NPS rangers found at Kevin's campsite. Aided by search dogs, they found his boots and a hat half a mile away, down in a gully out of sight of the main camp. They found his food and caches too, but they never found any sign of the 36-year-old tourist. Later, in the same article, rangers speculated about what may have happened to Kevin. What happened to Kevin O'Keefe may never be known. Rangers have rejected early speculation he was eaten by bears. The rangers stated there were no bear tracks anywhere in the area of Kevin's camp and even added, almost no wildlife of any kind. A review of the NPS report and itemization QF Kevin's property indicates items were located at intervals of 60, 120, and 200 to 300 feet from Biss tent and that his boots and knit hat were found in a gully one t appears that everything that Kevin needed to survive was at his camp. He had survival books and pamphlets, film, food, a toothbrush, soap, cigarettes, vitamin E, a compass, a flashlight, and other assorted items that you'd expect to find in a campsite where someone was staying for over one month. Case 2. Tommy Jenkins He went missing on the 5th of April, 1950, noon, Fort Lewis, Washington, age at disappearance, 2 or 3 years discrepancy in reports. Fort Lewis is just 2 miles southwest of Tacoma but has very wild regions, specifically for the training of its soldiers. The 33,000 acre fort that housed 6,000 soldiers in 1950 sits on the southeast side of American Lake with Interstate Highway 5 bisecting the property the region of the fort that borders the IAC is still quite wild and undeveloped. Tommy Jenkins lived on Fort Lewis with his father and mother in a non-commissioned housing area about 1500 feet from American Lake. Reports vary on Tommy's age, stating anywhere between 2 and 3 years old. On the 4th of May, near noon, Tommy was outside playing with the neighbor's Irish setter named Lassie. One soldier reported he saw the hoy and the dog playing at a gravel quarry not far from his residence. This was not confirmed. When Tommy didn't come home for lunch, authorities were called and a search initiated. The commander of Fort Lewis pulled every available soldier to search for Tommy Jenkins but 6,000 men and women covered every inch of the base looking for the small boy. Focusing on the area near the gravel pit in the region near the beach and water, they found nothing. The commander put helicopters and planes into the air. They found nothing. Three different bloodhounds were brought to the base and attempted to pick up Tommy's scent. The dogs found nothing. On the third day of searching, and in an area previously searched numerous times, searchers heard sounds near the beach. The men fought their way through heavy brush to find Tommy and Lassie playing on the beach of American Lake, alive and well. On the 8th of May, 1950, article in the Saskatoon Star Phoenix had the following about Tommy being found. Major RTN Heap, Fort Lewis Provost Marshal, said Saturday that three-year-old Tommy Jenkins, who has been missing two days, has been found alive and well. He apparently had been kidnapped, Major Heap said, and returned to the point which he was picked up. Later in the same article, there is another quote from the army official, no three year, old hoy could have survived two nights in the open with weather as we have had in the last 48 hours, said Major Heap. During the time that Tommy had been missing, temperatures were down to the low 40s, and there was sporadic rainfall. Sergeant William Jenkins attempted to question his son about Biss disappearance but didn't get clear answers. The hoy did state he slept in areas where there were no homes. He stated that he had fallen in a creek with the dog, yet the hoy and the dog were dry. 
There were other statements made by army officials confirming that they did not believe that Tommy had been in the area where he had been found for the previous 48 hours. They also confirmed that the hoyer was in too good of physical condition to be out in the elements for the entire time he was missing. The independent record of Helena, Montana, ran an article on the 6th of May about Tommy being found. Reporters attempted to question Mrs. Jenkins about Tommy and how he could be found in such phenomenal condition. And she stated, one can't understand it, one can't understand it. And final case of the day is, Richard Ali he went missing 9th November 2004. Unk, Colchuck Lake, Washington, age at disappearance, 47 years. Colchuck Lake sits in the middle of the Cascarel Range approximately 2 miles northwest of Mount Stewart, 15 miles south of Lake Wenatchee, and 10 miles west of the town of Wenatchee. This area of the Cascarels has more people that have disappeared and never been found than any other location in the region. Colchuck Lake sits in a bowl that has no trees around its outside and is located at the 5,800 foot level. The region is extremely rough and rugged. On the 9th of September, 2004, Richard Lee traveled from Biss residence in Hobart to the area of Colchuck Lake for two days of hiking and camping. He completed a two-day camping permit, filed it, and walked into the lake. At one point during those two days, Richard contacted Biss brother while he was on a ridge line and indicated all was fine and he just wanted to say hello. This was the last time anyone has ever heard of Richard. On the 11th of September he didn't return to his residence. Richard was an extremely experienced and a well prepared camper. Even though he didn't arrive at his residence as planned, that didn't immediately strike a note of emergency. Mrs. Lee eventually believed that something was drastically wrong and reported Richard missing on the 15th of September. The same day that searching started, the first group into the area was the Chelan County Mountain Rescue Team. They found Richard's vehicle parked at the trailhead and then were flown into the jeep and started to search the area. Searchers decided to focus on Enchantment Lakes, Colchuck Lake, and Lake Stewart. The searching for Richard didn't go smoothly or easily. Searchers were advised that Richard liked to hike off the trail and camp in areas where others would not. His campsite was not found immediately, and searchers had to trek cross-country much of the time in an effort to locate Biss camp, which they eventually found. Richard's tent, rolled out sleeping bag, and food in a bag pulled into a tree, so bears could not get to it, were eventually found 500 feet off a trail near Colchuck Lake. Searchers stated the camp looked like Richard just walked away from it. Everything in the tent was neat as though he was ready to come back to it. Rescuers searched for four days and never found any evidence of where Richard might have gone. In a strange twist to this story, I was one of the speakers at the 2012 National Association of Search and Rescue, NASAR, Association Conference at Harvey's Lake Tahoe in June, 2012. I spoke about a variety of circumstances related to our study and then explained many of the incidents where people were found far outside normal search and rescue parameters. Shortly after I returned from the Nassar conference, one received a very interesting series of emails from a search and rescue professional from Chelan County that was part of the search for Richard. He explained that this was one of the only incidents where he felt uncomfortable to be in the area of Richard's tent, and he couldn't explain why. He stated that it was an extreme effort to find the tent, because it was obvious that he was traveling off trail and they knew he wouldn't be in a standard campground. The searchers stated that the campsite that Richard had chosen had an eerie feeling to it, and it appeared just like someone walked away from it minutes earlier. 
He said that he would normally never write to me about something like this. In this many years of experience, he had always heard of others having strange feelings in the woods. But he stated that this was the first time that he personally had felt that something was definitely wrong with this area.